And I, I, I want to speak to bring context to what's going on here. I want to speak to bring insight uh, by the Holy Spirit revelation to why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, because I want you to understand, and I say this with deep conviction, this meeting right now is the most important meeting happening right now for God's purposes for this nation now. In this nation, you may think that's arrogant. I know it. Because when God's people gather like this to fast and pray for a nation, it gets his attention. We're singing about his love for this land. He has purposes for this land beyond what any of you can comprehend. God has an opinion on what's going on in the nation. God has an opinion on what's going on where you live, on your streets. I find myself coming to this nation in 2001, because I know many of you, as your first time press, I'm probably don't even know me. My name is James, and I moved over to this country in 2001 because God spoke to my dad. My dad is somewhere around there. And my dad was pastoring a, a, a successful church in Nigeria, you know, it was growing, things were going really well, you know. And pretty much just like Abraham, God said to him, I want you to leave. I mean, what do you do when God tells you to leave a place that you feel has been successful without giving you direction as to what to do next? Well, that's what happened. Okay, so my dad just... Is this okay? My dad obeyed the word of God, and um, God gave my dad a dream. And in that dream more like a vision, I would say, God showed him pictures of what's going on right now. And this is not even it. Okay? This is still the tip of the iceberg of what God showed him. And at the time, he thought it was something he was going to do. Okay? He obeyed the word of God, and God said to him, I want you in Manchester because I have a work for you in Manchester. Well, as the years, is this cutting off? Or is it just me? I might need to change this mic. Can someone help me? Is it okay? Okay, good. The word of the Lord came to my dad and said, I have a work for you in Manchester. Over the, over the next uh, uh, years of being here from 2001, I, uh, we realized the work God spoke to my dad about was not necessarily what he was going to do because he thought he was going to do this. It works out, I ended up doing it. Do you realize all the dreams God gives you many times are not always about you? In fact, most times it's not about you. God could put a dream in your heart and it's for someone else or someone, else, someone else's benefit. Someone said to me this week, it's like the fruits of the Spirit are not for you. They're for other people to eat. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is I want to give some background to where I'm going. Uh, so, uh, uh, Joel 2.28 is the foundational scripture for what we do here. It says, in the last days I pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will do what? Most of you know that verse. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will do what? And your young men will do what? See visions. So old men dream dreams, young men see visions. My dad had a dream, I had a vision. I need another mic. And Joel 2 
I'm seeing it being played out in my life, for real. Joel 2 is a very key scripture because the same book of, uh, the same Joel chapter 2 is quoted in Acts 2 uh, when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And Peter says, this is a fulfillment of that. But we understand it's a part fulfillment of that. Because if you read Joel 2 and compare it to Acts 2, they both don't fully align. There are many things in Joel 2 that are not in Acts 2. In terms of the prophetic promise and the prophetic, the fullness of that promise. The point I'm trying to make is, the fullness of the prophetic promise of Joel 2.28 is yet to be fulfilled. When God says you're part of spirit and all flesh... We're yet to see the greatest outpouring of God the nations of the earth has ever seen. So my dad moved over to this nation, and I find myself starting this prayer movement, not on purpose. Actually, it was accidentally. I always say it's impossible to say you're hungry for God and don't want to pray. How can you say you're hungry for God? And you don't want to seek him in prayer. It's impossible. How can you say you want to get married to someone, you engage to them, and you don't want to spend time with them? Or you only spend an hour a week with them? And you think that's relationship. What God is after is reality of relationship, and it consumes you. It consumes you. It's not just a part of your life. It's all of your life. If we're going to see the fullness of Joel 2.28... We need to understand a few things, that we are living in a very significant time. And I find myself giving myself to, I find myself just being stirred to see God. I was hungry for God, just going after God in prayer. One thing led to the next, then prayer storm started and all these, all these things started. And then I started to realize God was burdening my heart for this nation. Because I am standing on this platform today because your forefathers send missionaries to Nigeria, Africa, other nations of the earth. Your forefathers did that. That's why I'm here today. Do you realize many of them took their coffins with them? In fact, right here in Manchester, in 1890, there was a move of God that came out of the Wesley movement, and it was said that young people were queuing up to be missionaries to Africa. Young people, just like you, knowing that the life expectancy was 14 weeks. If I gave a call right now to be a missionary to some country, knowing that you'll die in 14 weeks, how many will sign up? Yet in that day, there were queues of young people. And my thing is, if that passion that was in their hearts, that caused them to give themselves for, that, for this nation then, were to exist in all of us in this room right now, for, for God and for this nation, we're going to have a revolution. You know the problem? Many of us are only giving up part of our lives. We want the fullness of God, but we only want to give him part of our lives. And we expect him to manifest his fullness with half-hearted worship. It's not going to happen. So when I stand here on this platform and I'm speaking this word, I want you to understand that I come here with conviction. I believe God is not finished with Great Britain. And you, I'm looking at right now. Yes, you. And you, and you, you're the answer to the prayers for awakening. Many of us are just giving the responsibility to other people. Thinking about the people on the platform. It's not about that. When you see your responsibility and you see that God has called you to change your school for God, 
That's where it starts. If I told you, I don't know your name, but if I told you you were going to speak on this platform at some point soon, maybe tomorrow at church. I don't come to Audacious, but if I told you you were going to be speaking and you had to preach a word to Audacious Church here tomorrow, there's no way you're going to leave this meeting and just go home and watch TV. Why? Because you feel the weight of responsibility to deliver the word of God. Why do we need to wait till someone tells you you have to speak on a platform to feel that responsibility? You have that responsibility right now. And the alignment needs to take place. There's a few things I want to I really bring out from this scripture. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark 1.35. Before I go into that, I'll finish up the story of why I'm doing this and why we're doing this today. Many of you have probably seen the video online. I've seen things online. And I want to just reemphasize some of that. Because if we're really going to go to the depths that God wants us to go today, we need to have revelation of why we're doing what we're doing. In Joel 2, the people of God are facing the judgment of God. Is everything okay? Yeah? In Joel 2, the people of God are facing the judgment of God. And they're in a terrible situation. And God says to them, I have hope for you. When it looks like there is no hope and when it looks like there is no remedy, God still has a holy prescription. When a nation looks like it's such, it, it is in such a mess, and you know, the, the alarming thing about this is most Christians don't even discern or even aware of the depths of the mess that this land is in. Because if we really realize it, we won't be having the response we're having towards God, especially in prayer. God says, when there is no hope and when there's no remedy, um, I still have a holy prescription to cure the nation. And his holy prescription was, gather all the inhabitants of the land, call a sacred assembly, let the people of God come before God, and let them cry out to God, which is what we're doing today. Let them weep before God. Let them call out to God for their nation. And then later on in, 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 that, in, that, in that chapter, verse 28, he says, afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The question is, after. This is why we gather today. We're gathering because we're positioning ourselves in alignment with what God has promised. That if we will gather together like this, and I don't believe, I'm not saying we gather like this once and it solves the nation's problems, but I believe if we have the heart and the consistency to gather like this on a regular basis, to fast and pray and call out to God for this nation, we're positioning ourselves for a great outpouring of God on this land. In spite of all the mess that's going on. Are you with me? That's why I need you to engage today. If you're planning to come for an hour, I want to encourage you to stay for the whole, the whole time. Because things are going to happen today. I know it. I've seen it already in prayer. God is going to shift things over this nation today. Because you're here. And one thing you need to understand is, when we gather like this, God releases angels and there are things going on in the realm of the spirit that we have no idea about. If God were to open your eyes right now, you would be shocked that there are more beings in this room than people. 
in the West, we're so used to the five senses, we're not aware of the spiritual realm. That's why prayer would not make sense to most people because it's like you're just talking. But you don't realize your words are like swords in the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, you're not just a, a human being just wearing casual clothes. You're a warrior. I want to establish this point before I move on to Mark, uh, to the passage I should move on. Because for me, when I do things like what we're doing, I'm coming up here and I'm uh, crying out to God and praying. It's because I have a vision in my mind. And my heart is that you begin to capture that vision. Because as I stand on this platform, I say this with conviction that I know I'm laying my life down for this nation. The missionaries that went to Africa, they laid their lives down and they died. I believe I, if God would require of me to die, I am ready to die for the purpose of seeing God turn this nation around. I'm saying for you to understand how much of a conviction I have about this. So when we come here to pray, it's not just a simple kind of, we're just going to do this and just move on. This is my life because I believe it. And I'm calling you to not take this lightly at all. There's a spirit realm, there's a spirit realm that we have no idea about. The Bible says the things that we see, the things that we see are made from things that are unseen. Things that are unseen created the things that are seen. What does that tell me? That tells me the unseen realm is superior to the seen realm. God is spirit and is in a superior realm. And we are trying to change a nation by trying to shift things around in the, in the seen realm, not realizing the seen realm has been influenced by the unseen realm. We're not going to change the sin realm if we don't tap into the unseen realm and displace principalities and powers through our prayers and fasting and seeking God. Are you with me? See, I don't so much each to preach. I each to pray. Because in my preaching, I can move men and women in my prayers. I can move angels and demons. And I'd rather move angels and demons over regions and see the kingdom of God break into a nation. Are you with me? We're not going to be going further in this meeting just for the sake of fun. I want you to engage with the seriousness of this. Mark 1, 35. Now in the morning, Jesus rose. A long while before daylight, he departed to a solitary place and he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Everybody say, search for him. Jesus rose a great while before daylight to go and pray. This is chapter 1. It doesn't necessarily mean the Bible is written in chronological, uh, sorry, it doesn't necessarily mean the events recorded in the Gospels and chronological order, but I do believe this happened, this particular story happened at the early stages of the disciples' encounter with Jesus. Jesus gets up. I mean, what would it be like to hear Jesus pray? The disciples were still fascinated with this man, Jesus. When he got up to pray, they invited themselves to a prayer meeting he did not necessarily want them to come to. Jesus didn't get up to pray and then wake up his disciples and say, come on, let's go and pray. He got up to pray and then they went looking for him. Because they wanted 
to be like him. To be able to do what he did, they needed to live how he lived. What I find amazing about this is, turn to Mark 14, 32. This is what I found amazing about what I just said to you. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further, fell to the ground, and prayed. If it's possible, the hours come, and his, uh, the, the hour... He fell to the ground and prayed, if it, if, it were possible, the hour might, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, my will, not my will, but yours be done. And if you keep reading on, which I'm trying to get up on here. Um, then he came around and found his disciples sleeping and said to Simon, Simon, are you, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them sleeping again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Let us be going. See, my, my betrayer is at hand. What I find intriguing about this is, in chapter 1, they are rising before daylight to go to a prayer meeting. They're not invited to. In chapter 14, when he needs them to pray with him, they can't be bothered to get up. I, I'll tell you this. They did not understand the significance of the moment they were in. And that is a picture, I believe, a prophetic picture of what is going on right now. Aren't we so quick to run to God when we need him? There's no recording anywhere where Jesus is necessarily asking for something from them per se. But this is a significant moment. I dare to say this is the most significant prayer moment in the Bible. The most significant moment in history. The disciples are right there with Jesus. And guess what? They're sleeping. That is no different to what's going on in the church right now. If they could discern the significance of that hour, I bet you they will not have been sleeping in that hour. If we could bring Peter into this room right now, I bet he will regret that time. When Jesus needed him the most to stand in prayer and he was there just falling asleep. I tell you what right now, over the church is a spirit of complacency. It's just swept over all of us. And we're just coasting along, thinking everything is okay. See, when Jesus woke him up, Peter, when Jesus was trying to wake Peter up, 
they were probably thinking, oh, it's okay, you know, Jesus is going to be here tomorrow. Their mindset is they got familiar with him. Thank you. They got familiar with his presence. They got used to him. The Jesus they used to be excited about and want to go and pray with and want to spend time with. Now it's almost like, okay, Jesus, well, you can wait another time, you know. You know, and it's funny that most Christians, you know, would get up and pay however money to go and see their favorite, even Christian band across the nation or wherever, you know. I bet, and I don't see this in a derogatory way, but I bet if we announced for this prayer gathering that we're having some of the famous worship leaders in the nations come, this place will be packed out. I guarantee you that. So people can wake up and pay the price to go to a meeting, okay, and enjoy someone else leading them in worship. But right there in their room, they don't want to get up and meet the God that they would, that would travel miles to go and worship. Do you see what I'm trying to say? That we place a lot of emphasis on all the externals, and internally we're not actually cultivating a reality or relationship. And because we're not cultivating that reality, we're gradually slipping away. And the spirit of complacency is so real that you don't know it. You don't know you're asleep until you wake up. And many people are falling asleep under this spirit. And they don't realize we're living in a very, very significant hour, people. And I'm here to sound the alarm and say, wake up. Wake up. Say to yourself, wake up. Come on, you can say better than that. Wake up. Wake up. I choose not to be asleep in this hour. I find it a bit annoying that Christians are gathering to pray for Great Britain here. And the other Christians that will hear about it and go, well, that, I'm not even bothered. That's not my kind of thing. What's going on with us, people? What level of magnitude of crisis is it going to take for us to realize it's only God we need? I can tell you this right now confidently. What we need is not another great communicator. What we need is not another great worship leader. What we need is not another great Christian event. What we need is God. Because the nation is perishing. The nation is dying. The nation is fading. And all the fabric of society is just crumbling away. Why us Christians are just having a nice time in church? And we're not seeing we have a responsibility. I'm here to say, wake up. I'm going to finish on this point. There's no way we can have authority to shift the atmosphere in the nation if the spirit of the age is very, comf very comfortable in our hearts. In this prayer meeting, we're going to go places in prayer for the nation. There's no way we're going to have authority out there if we're bound in here. You cannot bind that devil that is already binding you in your heart with lifestyles of addictions. It's not going to happen. Because you stand here saying, God, release your fire in the nation. You, you, you see, what releases authority in our prayers is the lifestyle behind the person that's given the prayer. He says the anointing breaks the yoke, but it's the lifestyle behind the anointing that actually does break the yoke. God does not anoint programs. He anoints people. 
And God wants to anoint you today to be a warrior. And you are already a warrior, but there are things that are holding your weapons down and not causing you to be sharp in the spirit because you're complacent and your eyes are glazed over and you're, carry, and you're more excited about watching the next program or the next movie in the cinema than you are about meeting God in your personal prayer time. How is God going to release revival to people who are not hungry for him? How is it going to happen? Every move of God has come about because there's been real desperation for God. You go to a church on a Sunday morning, you find out how popular the church is. You go to church on a Sunday evening, you find out how popular the pastor is. You go to church on a prayer meeting, you find out how popular God is. We recently had a prayer meeting in St. Ellen's. Saints in the stadium, and I was there, maybe a couple thousand people. Well, I sat in that stadium, and it was empty. It was empty. I looked at all the empty seats. And I think it was Jenny that said this. This is a, a picture of the prayer movement in England right now. The fact that those seats are empty for me is a picture of the fact that the church has not quite got to the place of desperation yet. If we're in a, you see, if there was a national disaster, national crisis of a magnitude we've never known before, if that happened today, okay, I can guarantee you tomorrow, churches across the nation will be calling prayer meetings for the nation. Am I right? Why are we always reactive? Why are we not proactive when you're in the middle of a storm? <laughs> See, when a storm is coming, the people on the news start broadcasting. There's a storm coming. But if you're in the place where the storm is coming, to you, it looks like everything is okay. You're like, well, like, you know, maybe you're experiencing the calm before the storm. You can't sense everything around. But other people that can sense it and have the equipment to sense it are telling you something's coming. And you're just like, well, I can't be bothered. Well, you're going to be swept away. Because of your lack of ability to obey the prophetic word. I'm telling you, trust me, we're in a dangerous place as a nation. And that stadium wasn't filled because the church is asleep. We're excited about Jesus when we got saved. Listen, spiritual maturity is not being a Christian for 20 years. Spiritual maturity is not measured by longevity. It's measured by increase of passion. If right now you're no more passionate for Jesus than you were when you first got saved, theologically, you're backslidden. And God is calling us to be those people who are increasing in passion for him. We're not going to see the shifting we need to see in this nation with half-hearted devotion to God. It is not going to happen. Are you hearing me? I'm speaking these words to you because I live it. I live it. This is my life. And if you've come here, I'm telling you, this is important. And you're not here by accident. Don't waste this time and think crazy guy on stage shouting like a crazy man. I can't be bothered. Because these words I'm speaking will come back to haunt you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. 
God has called you for greatness. And you cannot afford to waste your life, young people, with boyfriends and girlfriends and all the distractions of this world. God is more fulfilling than any boyfriend or girlfriend will ever be. This is the time for you to say, God, while I'm young, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do everything. Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want of me? God, my life is yours. Those are the people that impact nations. I want to end with this point of freedom. Because I believe God wants to break chains over people in this place. We're not going to go into prayer for the nation without us first. Not rededicating our hearts to God in devotion. And breaking away from compromise. And breaking away from that spirit of complacency. God wants to set us free. Because he's called us to set other people free. Do you hear me? God wants to set you free because he's called you to set other people free. And you can't break chains off people if you yourself are bound in chains. Freedom is not the length of time between sin cycles. Freedom is when the sinner is dead. And the thing that used to have you doesn't have you anymore. I believe in true freedom because I'm living it. And I'm here to declare to you, you are called to live in true freedom. And from that place of freedom, give your heart wholly to God in devotion and then begin to intercede for the nation. Are you with me? Your life is not in isolation, thinking, oh, well, I don't matter. I'm just some simple person living at the back of nowhere or whatever. So it doesn't really matter what I do or my little sin, secrets. No, it does, it does matter because your prayers are important for the kingdom of God breaking into the land. Your prayers are important. My prayers are important. Listen to this. Prayers never die. And God is calling us to pray with authority. I want you to stand with me. And I want the band to come up. God is calling us to freedom because he's going to take us places we've never been before in prayer today. Because we're gathering to pray here today, people are going to be set free. They're not even here. Because we're gathering to pray here today, things are going to happen in the nation that we don't have any idea about. And things will shift because of our faithfulness here and because we are wholeheartedly giving ourselves to God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, in the latter part, it says, if my people will call my name, will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their own wicked ways. Their own wicked ways. That's what I want to call us to right now. Many of you are asleep. Have you ever been in the kebab shop? You know that meat? Okay, if you're fasting, sorry. <laughs> well, you should be fasting anyway. <laughs> okay, so you know that meat, okay? You see how they slice it, one slice at a time? For many of you, your spirit... Hello? For many of you, your spiritual life has been sliced away, one piece at a time, by the enemy, and you've not even known it. Two months down the line, you're thinking, how did I end up here? 
You don't want to pray. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to spend time with God. You think prayer means a waste of time. All of a sudden, your heart is fully disconnected for God. That's because you gradually let the enemy come in and your passion for God was going on a decrease. By default, if you do nothing, you realize you backslide. In this Christian walk, if you just sit back and go to church, and maybe go to a Bible meeting here or there, or maybe go to a Christian event, by default, you backslide. It's just the way it is because the opposition is so great. And if you're going to make progress, if we're going to make progress, we have to apply a force, spiritual heart, devotion to God that's greater than the opposition we're facing. Otherwise, we're going to backslide. That's why many of us are not even aware that prayer meetings are going on for the nation. And many people can't be bothered because their hearts are not fully connected. They're not really feeling the heart of God for the land. He loves this nation and he wants to see everyone saved. And you're part of the answer. You are a revivalist. You, you are a revivalist. Repeat after me. I am a revivalist. I am a revivalist. I'm called to release the fire of God. Come on, say it like you mean it. I'm called to release the fire of God. I am a thermostat, not a thermometer. Go on. Say it like you mean it. I am a thermostat, not a thermometer. Why did I say that? You're not called to conform to the temperature in the, in the airways around you. You're called to shift the atmosphere. Whoa. You're called to shift the atmosphere. You have that authority. You may not feel like it, but you have that authority. But how can you exercise that authority when you're bound in compromise and sin and addictions? God wants to set you free. And there's an anointing here today to break chains. There's an anointing here today to break chains. Chains of depression. Chains of complacency, chains of pornography, chains of alcohol addiction, chains of drug addiction. There's an anointing here to break chains. Chains are going to be broken today. I can hear it snapping. I want you in the front to take a few steps back. Because we're going to pray for people. are on you. His eyes are on you. He 
eyes are on this 